there are like fourth generation Asian Americans in America, but they're extremely rare. Most of us are Gen 1 or 2 or even Gen 0 having come over when we were really young. Mm -hmm. And so like this is the bulk of us that are growing up now. We dive in between and we kind of weave in between like what's good on the American side and what's good on the Asian side. And Yeah, that's an amazing point, right? Because I can choose and even have conversations with my parents of like, these are things you guys grew up with, but they're not necessary for my survival. Heyo, welcome to the Asian Detox Podcast, the podcast where we boldly reclaim Asian American prosperity. We have relatable conversations about how being Asian American shows up in our day-to-day lives, how money is deeply embedded in our culture, and how you can choose to define your own version of success in a world that tries to tell us how to be. I'm your host, TJ Wei, your hashtag very Asian, non-binary, gluten and dairy-free money habits coach, and I want you to know that you don't have to live in the boxes other people put you in. You can design your abundant life in a way that honors your heritage while enjoying a life of ease and alignment. And you can do it while making money and building generational wealth. All right, today we have Elisa with us. Elisa is a friend of mine who is also a business owner, and I'm so excited. I'm going to read this bio here. So Elisa Kay is a certified director of operations who specializes in strategic operation planning for businesses looking to scale or build a stronger foundation before growth. She also works with those that need operations management on an ongoing basis. She's a huge animal lover, and her world revolves around her pets. So if you're in the pet industry, that would be her jam. And I know this for a fact because I literally saw her cat on her table like before we hit the record button. <laughs> yeah. He always has to jump up here and see see who I'm talking to. Yes. How many pets do you have? Three cats for now. We're looking for a fourth one. One dog, one bunny, and nine chickens. Nine chickens. <laughs> wow. Okay. So there's a lot of eggs in your house. Yeah, they we get and roughly anywhere between four to nine eggs a day. So, well, for a family of four, that's not bad at all. And they started laying right when COVID hit, and all of the like market, like when you go into the grocery stores, all the eggs were gone. Mm. Um, and so that's when they started laying eggs. So it was actually, <laughs> it was actually great. Amazing! What perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Were you allowed pets growing up? Yeah, actually, funny enough, um, I was, which I know in a lot of Asian households, like, usually it's not allowed. It's something to clean up after and another thing to feed. Yep, yep. Um, and a lot of Asian parents just feel like they're dirty. Um, but luckily, my parents allowed me like that one thing. <laughs> <laughs> no freedom because I'm a girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But at least I had my my cats. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. How old were you when you got your cats? Honestly, I think I was still in elementary school. I don't even know if I was in school yet. So it just as long as I can remember. I do remember asking for my very first cat randomly. I was just hanging out in the backseat of the car and we were driving somewhere. And I was just like, oh, can I have a cat? <laughs> And then my parents just started talking about like where we would find one or adopt one. Oh, so they jumped right in. Yeah, which is now that I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I was loved after all. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's those little things that we don't notice, right? That you right. have to go, oh, that was probably love. I, I don't. <laughs> Does your family <laughs> say I love you at home? Not while we were growing up which I feel like is like the stereotypical Asian thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like where we don't do feelings, like quote unquote feelings as a family. Yeah. Now that I'm older and once in a while I'll talk to my dad when he calls me to check in on me, um, I'll say it to him. So, and then my, my husband as well, like he was just talking about it. Like he, he says it more often to his parents now, now that mm. we're older, just because we started breaking the cycle yes, and allowing that for our boys. So that was intentional on your part. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I feel the same way. Like I grew up without saying it in my, I would have to like really pay attention the next time I spend time with my family, but I don't think my parents like start 
it, right? Like usually, I think at this point, I've said I love you in my relationships, right? So it's more normal for me, but it's still a little bit of a like, we don't say this in our house. So yeah, like don't leave me hanging. <laughs> yeah, so I do it a little bit more consciously these days either. I will reinterpret like my dad likes to hang up the phone with a take care and I'll just in my head choose to reinterpret that as I love you or every once in a while because I, sometimes I go to say it and then I just still like don't get far enough <laughs> but when I do say it they do say it back. Yeah, I think it's so weird and funny talking about it because it is awkward and it's weird that it's awkward because like I'll say it a 100 times a day to my kids and my husband and obviously my pets don't tell anybody, but they're my favorite. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I say it a hundred times a day, but then like when you're actually about to say it to your parents or your brothers or something like that, there's like this little hesitancy, like this one mm. moment of like, okay, I'm going to say it now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is a choice I'm making. That's still not like fluid. Are you close with your brothers? I was when we were younger, we aren't as close now, but I would still say we're kind of close. Um, there's a little, it, it's awkward just because of the toxicity in the family and me mm. choosing to cut out my mom because my brothers are my half brothers and we all share the same mom. Okay. So my, my mom is, you know, calling my brothers and then they, they talk about me and then I choose not to be involved in that. So I'm like, reach out to me when you want to hang out. I still love you, et cetera, but I'm not going to talk about mom or how she's my only mom and I, I need to make allowances for her. Mm. And so we've, I've been pushing and setting those boundaries and pushing him away yes. a bit until he, he learns and understands like that's not who I am um, and yeah. what I want in my life. And so once you accept that, you can come back into my life. Yeah. So I'm glad though that you're able to still have that conversation and set those boundaries. And it sounds like you're still able to to interact with the rest of your family without letting all of that toxicity in. It's hard just because of who we are as a culture. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the Asian culture, of course. I know like Mexican culture is the same, but the fact that we're just so involved with making sure we take care of our elders the whole cutting off family is almost non-existent in the Asian culture. I really feel that way that at some point, this whole like setting boundaries thing, I'm doing air quotes, has turned into it's okay to cut your toxic family members out of your life. And I'm just going to come out and say it. It's a very white thing to do, to be like, that's okay. We're going to do this. We're never going to talk to them again. Like that shit doesn't fly in an Asian family. Yeah. And for those that can't see us, I'm nodding like so vigorously <laughs> that my hair <laughs> is just flying everywhere because yeah, it's just the, the looks you get when you're like, Oh yeah, I'm not close with my mom. I cut her out of my life. You know, and I say it so nonchalantly and it took yeah. me a long time to say it nonchalantly because mm -hmm. when I would say it before I would tense up and get ready to, to have a fight. see the judgment, yeah. right. Or like to, to justify it, to be like, you know, basically justify it. Um, but now I'm like, you know what, what I'm doing is not wrong. Mm. Um, and it, it just took a long time to get there. Cause even though I knew logically it was not wrong of me to protect myself and my family, the judgment that you would get would make you second guess yourself yeah. that you're doing something wrong because this is your mom after all. And you only get one mom in your life mm. and et cetera. And I think it's just not even culturally, but just society in general, like moms are supposed to love their kids, right? Mm -hmm. Like unconditionally love. Right. And so it's assumed. Yeah. And so they, they have in their mind, my mom loving me unconditionally, and I'm just cutting her off. And I'm like, it's not like that. Yeah. It, it's not so simple. It's not like a children's story. There's so much complexity to it. But I want to ask, how long has it been since you last talked to her? Since November of 2021. Okay. So not too long, but in Asian terms, it's been forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even think I want to say, so I did the same thing. I stopped talking to my family. They never get my birthday right. So at some point they really, they pissed me off enough that I was like, I'm done. But I don't think I lasted. So my birthday's in February and I maybe lasted until August. 
and it just so happens that we're Facebook friends at the time. I, and when I went into business, I unfriended my family just for my sanity, but we were Facebook friends and I was talking about how I was starting a business and I posted about needing a financial advisor and she left a really supportive comment that completely surprised me. So that was mm-hmm. when I was like, okay, maybe I, I didn't like start talking to her from that just because of that one thing. But I was like, right. oh, maybe this isn't a forever thing, but like <laughs> for now, this is where we're at. <laughs> I think it's, I, I get that when you get annoyed with family members or they do something completely messed up or something of that nature. And I don't know if it's to do with my personality where I don't have patience like that mm. um, because I'm an animal person, not a people person. So I already have a short amount of patience for people in general, <laughs> regardless if you're my family or not. But yeah, I think it's just shorter because I'm 35. And so I've spent decades of my mom being who she is and yes. doing the things that she's done. And you know, for those that are listening, like I've read books on narcissistic behavior and I'm like, this is, they're writing about my mom. (laughs) (laughs) You saw it in her. Yeah. Right. And I think mental, I wouldn't say like mental abuse, but it, you know, like it is when you're dealing with somebody narcissistic, they do things like that, like manipulation and emotional abuse. Yes. It's definitely emotional abuse. That's definitely a, a narcissistic symptom. Right. But it's so much harder to explain to people especially Asian people, why you cut off your mom and you're like, well, because she hurt me. And they're like, oh, but it's your one mom. And and, and in their mind, they're like, she didn't slap you around. So you're okay. Wait, wait, who said that they didn't, right? Like <laughs> I grew up around other Asians and there was definitely like the spanking culture. And I don't know that like, well, that's different, right? Like <laughs> yeah. in our culture, that is just setting, that's setting somebody straight, right? Like we don't believe mm-hmm. in timeout. It's just you know, you spank them and then they're good, whatever. But yeah, I I just like trying to explain, like, I cut off my mom because she's a narcissist and she hurt me. And they're like, in their mind, they're like, but if she doesn't beat you, like, what do you mean by hurt? Like, that's what they're thinking. it's It's the lack of like, again, the emotional awareness or the mental health aspects, because we don't talk about any of that stuff. Right. I actually looked up how many psychologists there were in Laos. Like there's zero. What? There's a handful and they work in the city hospitals, but not on a, like a client basis. It's more like research. Interesting. Yeah. There's really no like therapy services in Laos, especially if you're in the country, which I understand. Right. Um, right. But yeah. And that's, that's where my mom is from as well. She's from the countryside right. and she's not from the city. So for her, like, I don't even know how to explain it to her in Laotian, like there's a language mm-hmm. barrier as well. So, yeah. um, you know, if I'm explaining to her and we've been through this where I'm like, this is who I am. This is why we clash. The things yes. that you want from me, I'm unable to do. Like she wants to move in with me and live with me for the rest uh-huh. of her life. Yes. Very typical in an Asian household. Like somebody has to take care of the aging parents. And I'm like, that's not me. Like we're going to clash too much. That's mm-hmm. too much to put on my sanity. Yes. I was like trying not to offend her, but I'm like, I don't want to see you every day. I don't want to hang out with you every day. There's a reason you moved out. and But in her mind, that's not typical of a, a Lao girl. And I'm like, but I'm not just a Lao girl. Yes. I am American. Yes, yeah, you're well. American. You grew up with the American media. There, I always thought, even growing up, right, that I'm here like consuming cartoons and we have like Independence Day and all of these things that talk about how like just celebrating the individual. And I I don't remember when they introduced the concept of like collectivism versus individualism, but like the moment they introduced that, that stuck with me for the rest of my life was like, oh, this is a thing where like these two things clash now. Right. Well, and as you're growing up and they push on you to study because that's what the stereotypical Asian culture does is like you can become one of three things and that's a lawyer, doctor, engineer, right? Like don't try to become someone who does like liberal arts or paints or whatever. Um, But then they push college and they're like, in order to be successful, you got to go to college. And so my whole thing was like, okay, I'll go to college, but that means I'm moving out at 18 to go to college. And then after college, you're starting your career. So you're still independent. And I was like, I was like, you're clashing with your own ideas. Like you're telling me to go to college and be successful, but not be independent because (laughs) even though I'm going to college, like 
for some reason, you don't think I'm going to move out to go to the dorms, stay at home. You're supposed to somehow like come back into the fold. Right. Did your mom go to college? No. Okay. So I'm wondering if that's where some of the gap is. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, at least in U.S. college style, it very much is like you leave the house when you go to college. There are, like I have classmates that stayed home or went to community college or I got into a college that was close enough that I could have taken like transportation from the house to college. But when my mom introduced that idea, I was like, that is exactly the opposite reason that I am going to college. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like a lot of us are like, oh, freedom. Like we're, we're going to be able to go out after 6 p.m. Like we're, yeah. we're able to socialize. We're able to do all these things. And I think my mom not going to college is a part of it, but it's also um, like the stereotypical gender mm-hmm. roles, like where she was like, well, you're, you're a girl and you're Laotian. It's not typical for Lao girls to go out. Like it's unseemly. It's not ladylike. Mm. Those type of definitions where she's like, you're supposed to stay home. You're supposed to, you know, clean, take care of us, all that stuff, which is completely BS because I didn't learn how to cook until I moved out. <laughs> so I'm like, right, like, like until you have to have to cook for yourself, you like might learn a few dishes here and there and all of that, but it's usually not like a full-fledged cooking thing. So your mom is like, you're supposed to stay at home. Like, explain to me, how do they, ex- how did they expect you? Because you're married now. But how do they expect you to find a husband? That is another thing that me and my husband always talk about. Because like for him, for guys, he was taught, you know, the opposite, of course, of like, don't pay attention to girls, like go to college, get a career, all mm. that stuff. But then once they're done with their college careers, all of a sudden, everybody will turn around, like all the aunts and uncles, and just ask, like, why aren't you married yet? And it's like, right, it's the next milestone. <laughs> it's like, well, I was focusing on college and my doctorate degree and all this stuff. Yeah. And I didn't have time to date because you told me not to date until I'm 30 anyways. And, you know, like once you hit 30, they're like, well, where's the kids? Where are yeah, the wives? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Right. So it's just, it's always like a contradicting information that that's given by family members or expectations that contradict each other. Like for me, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to stay home and, and learn to cook and clean and all that stuff. Luckily, even though I'm a girl, like my parents never expected that of me. Like if I didn't want to cook or I didn't want to clean, like it was fine, but I'm also the only child. Mm. So it wasn't like I had a big family to clean up after That's or true. anything of that nature. My mom liked to cook anyways, so I never had to learn to cook. We had a dishwasher. We were like one of the few Asian families to use it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. we That was my first chore, actually, was unloading the dishwasher. That was the one thing my mom trusted us with. <laughs> Do you have a lot of family members that actually don't use their dishwasher? They use it as like storage. <sighs> I might. Like, I actually don't think my grandmother uses it. Um, And my uncle is, like, he lives on his own. So I could see how that would be inefficient, right? Like, when you're just the one person, it's not really, mm-hmm. like, it's faster just to rinse it yourself. Um, Unless you just want to buy that many dishes that you could fill up the dishwasher. <laughs> right. I just, I think it's, like, just the OG Asian like grandmas and aunties where they're like, yeah, I don't trust this Western technology. I'm going to hand wash my dishes. And then they'll just like my mother-in-law does that. She'll hand wash them and then she'll put them in the the dishwasher to dry. dry, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've lived on my own a couple of times and that's definitely what it was for at that point. Cause then at least your counters are clear. Right. Well, in your case, though, nobody does anything with the dishes. <laughs> uh, nobody can see because we didn't record video today, but like they're clear today because the cleaners came over, but otherwise they're normally a complete wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't notice too much, but I am nosy, so I do like like to look at everybody's background. I, I feel like everybody does that. Once you get on Zoom, you're always like, oh, let me check out their background. Yeah, like once you've gotten to know them, right? I'm not, I'm done. Like I, I can predict what your face looks like when you're talking a certain tone after a certain point. Right. So then you're like, Oh, those are some nice plants. Yeah. That looks good. (laughs) Um, And I, I have my camera facing my kitchen every day, regardless of like who is going to be on video. The only time I clean it up is really if I call my parents on it. (laughs) Otherwise, what I say is that I'm 
visibly human and like you can see on social media what I do and it looks all great, but I also want you to know I am not <laughs> a clean person. <laughs> Which is probably the bane of like your mom's existence. Because <laughs> I know like a lot of Asian moms are just so like clean and they love cleaning and that's all they do is clean all day long. And I'm like, I'm, I didn't get that gene. No, no. I'm actually pretty sure my dad is the one with the clean gene. And then my mom basically taught me how there's this habit with clothes that when you take clothes off, they go on a chair. So there's almost always a chair that's just piled full of clothes. (laughs) At least it's a chair versus the floor. That's true. It's better than the floor for sure. But my dad was definitely more of the clean freak and still is. He totally... um, I remember... On weekends, he worked outside of the house and he would come home late and all these things. But then on a Saturday after Chinese school, he would be like on a rampage trying to clean all the public spaces in the house and like yelling at us and shit. And like that did not help me learn to be clean, to be quite honest. Right. If anything, it just teaches you to avoid your dad on weekends or at least keep your area clean enough. Or like you do that, like you wake up extra early or like the night before you're just like scrambling around to make it presentable, aka throw everything in one closet. Yes. And then (laughs) you're like, I'm good. Well, so eventually I learned, right, that just to not hang out in the public spaces, right? I can't make a mess if I'm not there. So So then I stayed in my room a lot and then my room was pretty messy and then my parents would be like we never see you and I'm like because you you yell at me when I make a mess outside like what do you want (laughs) oh my gosh I've heard that all my life like I whenever when I did live at home when I was younger I just stay in my room all day um well I mean I was spoiled in the sense that the things that I asked for I got material Mm -hmm. things like the the cats and and when I would ask for like a computer or a new tv or just anything technology wise like I would get it because I'm like the only child. That's a good um, observation that it was technology because I feel the same way that like technology was fine, but like non-tech toys were were not okay. I think they were still okay for me, but in return, it was because I couldn't have a social life. Mm. So if I'm going to be at home all day, I needed things to like occupy myself with. Yeah, um, yeah and so... The cats, all the stuff that I would ask for, I would get. But yeah, in return, I didn't have a social life. And it's so funny because I'm an, I'm an introvert because of that. Mm. I don't know if I would have turned out any other way if I could have a social life. Because now that I'm older and I could have a social life, I'm still an introvert. <laughs> and it takes too much energy out of me to be social. Yeah, yeah. Right. Some of it's like what you're used to, right? Of like, it would be a different habit. And I definitely identify as an introvert, even when I'm acting more like an extrovert sometimes. So like pre-pandemic, you like people would definitely have told me I was an extrovert and I would have looked at them funny, right? Like that's not... <laughs> I th- Well, I think it, what is it? It's not ambivalent or anything like that. Um, there, Because there's one that's a mix between the two, not an introvert or extrovert, but there's a third one. I mean, I've heard it called different things. So ambivert is the one I identify with. Mm -hmm. And it depends just, it's more of like, what is my practice, right? Like right now I work from home, so I don't interact socially, like at least in person a lot anymore. So I'm going to be more on the introverted side, but I used to work outside of the house and then you had to deal with people all the time. So my tolerance was a little higher. So so I'm trying to like come out of the pandemic and adjust it a little bit to be a little bit more social, but I'm not looking to be like all the way extreme to back when I was working in the office. Yeah, I don't want to work on my tolerance. (laughs) I'm very much an introvert. You know, like, I love my pets. I can still stay in 24-7. And in fact, I still do. Now that I'm like out of my parents' house and I'm an adult and I can do whatever I want, I'm still at home literally like almost every day. And we'll go out maybe on Saturdays. Well, we have to go out on Saturdays to run errands Mm because I need food. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> if you for the do. kids, by law, I'm required to feed them. Um, so <laughs> we go out and, and do our groceries and all of that on Saturdays. But there's been times where I'm just like, well, I work from home. I'm a small business owner. Like our schedules are flexible because yes. we're entrepreneurs and those are our clients, not our bosses. Mm-hmm. So 
I'll put it on my calendar, like, oh, okay, I'll run out and I'll get um, whatever at the end of the day because I can. But by the time the end of the day comes, I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to just go lie on the couch and like play potato. Like (laughs) This is a real thing to me that like, I always think of it in terms of when I was feeling kind of sick or tired and I have an option to work from home that like, even when I was going into the office, if I didn't leave the house in the morning to go into the office, I was not leaving the house at all that day. There was no way that if I was like, Oh, I'll just go in late and show up for the afternoon half of the workday. Nope. So like very much that either somehow I've exhausted myself or I've convinced myself that it's totally fine to stay where I am in all of those Thing. So I just completely relate with like putting the chores, like I'll have to go to like Walgreens and pick up a prescription and be like, that can wait till tomorrow. That's <laughs> <laughs> like some life-saving medication. You're like, yeah, I'll be fine for the next nine hours. If not, then I'll know for next time. Yeah, maybe. yeah. <laughs> somebody like if it's that bad, because luckily I do have a roommate and he works outside of the house. So if it's that bad, I'll just be like, "Yo, you can either go get this for me, or you can deal with me without the meds." Like, like <laughs> that is so. Mean. I don't have to say it that way. That's what goes through his head when I tell him this. <laughs> that is so funny, though. But genius, very, very. It's a, it's a very genius idea. Yeah, for me, it's just um, it's being mentally exhausted by the end of the day, really. Because I I sit at home on my desk between like nine to five, you know, and you get however many breaks you want. And um, because I'm my own, I'm my own boss. So it's not like we're tied to our desk and we're only allotted certain amounts for bathroom breaks. Like half the time, I'm probably on YouTube or Facebook during the day, right? Um, But it's just being mentally exhausted because even though it's not a physically job, it's mentally exhausting. Yes. So I'm always trying to think outside of the box or problem solve. And people don't realize like how mentally exhausting that could be at the end of the day when you have like four or five clients and four or five problems. Yeah. You know, each client, not even just in total, but like each client has like four to five problems Total and you're trying problems. to think outside the box. Yeah, per client for sure. Well, and the work you do is on the strategic problem solving, like in sometimes like the firefighting aspect, right? Like it's always urgent by the time the client comes to you and context switching between clients is also where that exhaustion comes into play. So I can definitely see how that would be enough of using your brain after a work day. Yeah. I just want to veg out on the couch like as soon as it's four o'clock and I'm like, you know what? I ran out of creamer and coffee is life and I need it for tomorrow. So I should really go and run out, run outside and pick up some creamer. I'm like, you know what? Nah, people just got to deal with me tomorrow morning. Just (laughs) drink it black. And how old is your, can your oldest drive yet? Are you waiting for that? So you can send him out to get stuff. He is 17 and we're talking about driver's ed because he's not interested. I feel like this new generation, like mm. everybody just Ubers. Yes. Or has a friend drive, but it's not like when we were growing up or when I was growing up where as soon as you're 16, you're like, okay, getting getting my permit. I need a car, stat. Yeah, or at least the license to then go borrow a car or whatever it is, right? So Yeah, but he's not, he's just like, whatever. He's okay with me chauffeuring him everywhere. And honestly, as a parent now, I'm like, yeah, I'll chauffeur you everywhere because I have you know, experience. Mm. And I don't, I would rather you get in the car with me versus your friends. Yeah, that's true. But then I thought about it and I was like, I don't want you to get in the car with your friends. So we'll just get you your driver's license. And we've talked about, I'm looking into defensive driving and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff because, and I I don't even know who's going to teach them because I'm like, I'm a woman. And I'm Asian. So that's like two <laughs> ticks against me already. Right? Oh, oh, no. Yeah, that's a <laughs> no. thought. I... Stereotypically, like we're not the best. And I'm like, your dad's still Asian. So that's still like it's a big difference. Yeah, my mom actually hired somebody to teach my brother. But they still like as parents were still teaching the basics, right? Like that was how they handled it for him. And then he didn't get his license for years. And I'm the second kid. So Mm -hmm. I had to wait for him to get his license before I could get mine because I don't even know fully, like, you know, like all sorts of things. He's the oldest son. He should get it. Like what all those things. And then also like my parents only had so much time, so they couldn't be teaching both of us. Mm. And I think also we have, we still have 
sibling rivalry where mm-hmm. if I did better than him and stuff, that it would be, be no good for his self-esteem. So there was some of that. So I actually didn't get my license until I was 19 and my boyfriend taught me was how I, and I, I totally failed the first three times. <laughs> that is so un-Asian of you to fail. <laughs> to fail a test? Oh my God. No, I all the way through high school was not straight A's. And then I only got straight A's in college because I went the route of like, oh, I hear business school is easier. And I went to also a less competitive college. So then mm-hmm. I could get away with not doing as much work as I would have done if I'd like gone to like a more prestigious college. So that's so funny that you said that because I did not get straight A's in high school either. I had the potential. I think we all have the potential, obviously. But for me, I was unsurprisingly um, focused on socializing because I couldn't do it outside of high school. Mm -hmm. You did it like while you were at school. Right. And like, I remember failing gym in ninth grade. And funny because I I was a cheerleader in ninth grade. So it wasn't that I was one of those girls where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to swim because like my hair is going to get wet. You know what I mean? Like it was just literally because it was during lunch period. And if you skip your class during lunch period, because like it was like fifth period. And what my high school did was some classes, there's like four slots for lunch. And depending on what class you had during that period, it's like either you go to lunch first, and then you go to the class or you go to the class first, then lunch. And then there are some people where it's like class break for lunch, and then come back to finish the class. Oh wow! So for me, I just completely skipped whatever class that was, and then just stayed in the cafeteria for that whole like period to socialize with everybody. Um, And that was my gym class. So I failed gym class (laughs) in ninth grade. So one, it was gym. So that was, you know, everybody looks at you like you failed gym. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, attendance is a attendance participation. That's a big part of that grade. <laughs> right. And then two, like you failed a class as an Asian and you're alive. Like, yeah, you, you didn't get disowned. Excuse me, what? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was very not stereotypical in that sense where I did fail and I wasn't great, you know, at school during school because I was trying to socialize during that time. And it all worked out though. So I'm like one of the few, and I feel like every time I say this, there's that, and it goes back to like, when I tell people, like I cut my mom off, as soon as I say it, like I brace myself for some judgment. And then when I tell people this, I brace for judgment, not because I feel like other people will judge me, but because I judge myself really hard on it. Mm. And it's the fact that not only did I do bad in high school, but I never went to college or I never graduated college. I don't have a degree. And I actually dropped out of high school as well and just got my GED instead. So all of those, like whenever I say it, like I get this feeling, like internal feeling of like shame, guilt, and like I tense, like I physically tense, Mm -hmm. like bracing for judgment. And it's so weird because like, I don't think you're judging me. You're not, and I know you're not, you're not going there. Like, you're not like, oh, this bitch didn't finish high school. Like, (laughs) (laughs) But, but like you're judging yourself and do you feel like you judge yourself harsher because of the Asian stereotype that you're supposed to be better at these things? Yeah, that I'm supposed to, that we're supposed to have been good at school, that we're supposed to be, you know, great at math, that we're supposed to be smart, you know, I don't know, just all like the stereotypical. And I remember crying to um, Kyla about this of like anything that is a good, quote unquote, good stereotype about Asian people, like a lot of those don't match up with me. Like, I don't write cute. Like, I don't know how to draw. Like, I, if you tell me to draw you a stick figure, you're going to be like, what's wrong with that figure? Like, oh, what what handicap yeah. do they have that, <laughs> that their vertebrae is, like, all sorts of fucked up? Like, oh, wow. I am great at computers. Like, I have that going for me. Yes. Um, but, yeah, like, there, there's just, like, a lot of stereotypes that are, like, quote-unquote good for the Asian community but I don't line up with those stereotypes. Like I'm not a family oriented person unless it's my family, like my husband, my kids, my in-laws. Right. It's your, it's the family you built, right? There's a difference. And I feel like growing up, that was something that I I desperately wanted was a family that I could shape and design with my partner. And like, because I, and, and I don't know how much of like, 
the cultural clash it was, or it's just that like with the times too, right? Like we know a lot more about the impact certain ways of parenting have on children these days than our parents did, right? The internet didn't exist or they go, they don't know how to Google. So they type in like the thing that they want to believe. And of course there's evidence of it because the internet, (laughs) right? Nobody taught them how to be like, good at checking their sources on the internet or to type in like a neutral search or whatever. Yeah, they couldn't even pronounce credible. Oh. <laughs> That's a tricky word for older Asian parents. So there's an R in there and there's an L in there. So it's all like... It, it broke, yeah. And if they, <laughs> they tried to do like voice to speech, it would fall apart. <laughs> right. As a first generation Asian American, I grew up trying to fit into the boxes other people put me in. I considered acting, voice acting, and writing as career options when I was little, but ended up joining corporate America as an IT project manager to take the Asian parent-approved path. The good news is, it's not too late for me to follow those more creative goals, but I didn't have the energy to work both my corporate job and follow those passions. And I couldn't shake the cultural directive to be financially stable so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me. It's so ingrained in me that it's difficult to focus on more creative pursuits or what might be considered passion projects without the financial backing to support myself. That's why I'm such a big fan of building systems and financial foundations that leverage my hashtag very Asian frugal money habits and the more expansive abundance mindset that I strive to embody every day. While sitting at my corporate job feeling like there must be more to life than this, I spent years learning and absorbing information about how to become financially independent, invest in real estate and stocks, and build a business. And now, I'm on track to retire by 40. But more than that, I have the freedom to dress how I want, because how I dress now is certainly not considered professional, adopt unconventional pronouns, and work fewer hours to support my physical and mental health. I get to choose what clients I work with, who I spend time with, and what boundaries I need to set in order to keep the toxic expectations and hustle culture at bay. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to make your next big money move and build the financial foundations you need to feel like you can show up as your full self, I have an offer for you. My generational wealth building money mentorship program is three months of direct access to me and my brain to cut through all of the noise and conflicting information on the internet and get you where you need to be financially. Get a wealth building strategy, action plan, curated resources, and emotional support to put you on the path towards your abundant life. The link is in the show notes. This psychologist reached out to me because she was thinking of hiring an ops person. And so I did my due diligence and I went to her website to figure out what she, you know, like what she offers. Right. Cause she had her own practice. So I was just learning a little bit about her before we jumped on a discovery call. And then I saw that one of the services that she offered was geared towards people of different cultures of like AAPI backgrounds okay, and dealing with the trauma and the, the cultural clash. And I'm like, that's new. Yes. But it's so needed because the first generation is now growing up and realizing yes. the cultural clash. And that that is like my generation, your generation, where it's like our parents are the ones that immigrated and we're the ones that grew up here. And so the industry is realizing like they need therapists yes. for this because we need help. And, and I'm glad that they realize that. And I'm glad that we are actually utilizing those services <laughs> mm-hmm. because it would suck that if we took our parents thoughts and feelings about it like oh mental health like nobody needs that yeah you know and internalize them and yeah mm-hmm. so I want I want to circle back for people who don't like haven't thought about it right because this is this was actually a mildly new concept for me of the concept of there are like fourth generation Asian Americans in America but they're extremely rare most of us are gen one or two or even gen zero having come over when we were really young. Mm-hmm. And so like, this is the bulk of us that are growing up now, just because of the way immigration laws were, that we were finally able to move into America officially instead of like whatever hinky way to come and work on the railroad or do people's laundry during the gold rush. Right. Like that a large influx of officially like, Asians who had visas to work and go to education here are having their children and their children are now in their 30s and sitting here going, 
oh shit, I spent like, for me, it was, I felt like up to my teenage years, I was trying to figure out how to split both and having that fight with my parents into my 20s where I was like, I'm going to go super American because like American should account for everything I am because that is what I am. Mm -hmm. I don't have anywhere else to go. Right. And now I'm in my 30s and I'm like, okay, but I don't want to lose everything that I either grew up with or that my parents haven't taught me yet. I don't want them to pass on before I've like absorbed enough of it to not lose this history and this culture. Right. I think, um, and it's so funny that you say that because when I was having lunch with my in-laws over the weekend for Father's Day, um, the kids were eating Asian snacks. And I told them, I was like, you know, like, I'll say it, like, white people's kids miss out on this because if you don't walk into these stores, like yes. these, these markets and um, like the, the Mexican stores, the Asian stores, like you miss out on all this goodness. And I'm like, you are growing up with the best of both worlds. Like you get, you know, the treats that you get at the regular grocery stores that everybody goes to like Aldi's or what have you. And then you, you get to go to the Asian markets and then you get these completely like different sweets, um, yes. different flavors, different drinks. Um, and then it's the same with like Mexican stores. Like we, we do that as well. Like I love like the mango chili lime stuff, <laughs> but you know, it's just little things like that where I'm, I tell them, I'm like, you're so lucky because when I was growing up, we wouldn't get the American stuff, yeah. but we, it would be in our faces because you would go to school and I'd be like, Oh, it's spaghetti day. Like this is the only time I get spaghetti. Cause there's no way that my Laotian mm. mother would make spaghetti at home. Right. <laughs> She'll make, you know, Asian dishes at home. But at the same time, like when you're talking to a lot of Americans now and they're like, oh yeah, I love Thai food. I'm like, I, that's what I grew up with because yeah. you know, Laotian and Thai are very close. It was your day-to-day food versus like everybody's like, oh, this is a treat or whatever, like in a, some kind of occasion to go to an ethnic place. And Yeah. And so I was like tying in with what you're saying of like, you went full American and then you're like, wait, I don't want to lose out on you know, my Asian culture because of X, Y, Z. It's like, we get to, we're lucky in that we get to pick the pros from both Mm -hmm. sides. You know, like, I'm like, I don't like this Asian toxicity of like family is everything when family is toxic. So I'm going to go the American route of like, it's okay for self-care or, and, you know, to protect yourself, to cut them out. So we dive in between and we kind of weave in between like what's good on the American side and what's good on the Asian side. And yeah, that's an amazing point, right? Because I can choose and even have conversations with my parents of like, these are things you guys grew up with, but they're not necessary for my survival. And I can like, that's a conversation I can have now that they probably couldn't distinguish again, because they didn't have mental health. Like they didn't know how they were traumatized. So I think I've mentioned this on my podcast before, but my parents are from Taiwan and there were only three universities when they graduated. So it was super competitive to get in. And that's why when we came to America, they were like really on me about school and like getting into college and so anxious. And now that I'm like, oh, there there was like some context there of like you were traumatized as a kid and you didn't realize that you didn't need to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's, that goes back to like how me and my husband are trying to break the cycle. I think one of the, the downsides of the Asian culture is like, I love the fact that we put elders on a pedestal because Mm -hmm. they've been through a lot. They've lived their life. They're full of advice and knowledge and skills and experience. Like, so of course I agree with that. What I don't agree with is that we put them on such a pedestal that when they are disrespectful to those who are younger that it's seen as okay. And there's different levels of disrespect. And so for me, like when it gets really, really disrespectful and I feel like I can't speak up, especially as a a woman, Mm -hmm. because it's twofold, right? Like not only is it negative in the Asian culture in general, but we're supposed to be quote unquote submissive at the same time. Right. It just like irks me because I'm like, I'm still a human being. You know, like at the end of the day, I have feelings like I can bleed just like you and I can cry just like you. And it doesn't matter what age, what gender I am, what, you know, what ethnicity I am. The fact that you're older, but you're a human being and disrespecting me, like, like Mm. I'm not even a human being. Like, that's what irks me about the Asian culture. And like, we put them in such high pedestals that they can disrespect us and it's okay. Oh, and they're blanket categories, right? Because like, that's blind respect for the elders when like, okay, what if you're, you're 
grandparents are senile now. Like, are you still going to listen to what they say? I don't like, that doesn't seem right. And we're like supposed to be smart. And then there's like, for me, it's like book smart versus life smart of like, guys, we got to, we got to have some reality in here. And then the whole like putting our people in these boxes, right? Because my brother as the eldest son has different expectations than me as the youngest daughter. And I see that especially because my dad has a younger brother and my dad is the oldest son, but he's the middle child too. And somehow like, because he gets that label that there's a whole lot of like extra that goes with his responsibilities, but also arguably you get away with more because you have like some kind of status. Like, cause you're, yeah, it's very patriarchal in yes. the Asian society too. So even though he has an older sister and he's a middle child, the fact that he's the oldest boy allows yes. him more freedom than even the oldest girl. Yes. It, it completely overrides. I mean, he's got more responsibilities that go with it. Like he's the one that's supposed to take care of my grandparents and he's like fiscally responsible for them and all that stuff. But I, like, I... I'm just so curious, right? Like if that wasn't the case, if that wasn't put on him, what type of person he would have become. And I know in the Asian and the Asian culture, there's just so many different Asian ethnicities. So sometimes in, in some Asian cultures, the eldest male will take care of the parents. And then in some mm-hmm. others, the eldest females will take care yes. of the, the parents. And then and I still can't even like figure out who's supposed to take care of who in the Laotian culture. <laughs> I just know that my mom was like so set on me being the one taking care yes. of her. And I'm like, no, you have two other kids. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, because I think they also think they have that control, right? They get to choose like their favorite kid to take care of them or the one that they ha- couldn't like influence or manipulate the most. And it's different for every culture, right? Like sometimes it's like you just, the grandparents follow with, the son and that's why it's so important to have the son mm-hmm. or like oh maybe like the the women are just better caretakers so then you're supposed to follow the, the that matriarchal line but it's yeah somehow it all has to divide evenly right because otherwise you're gonna have in-laws in the same house right that and there's that too like i'm like well if it's the girl that's supposed to take care of it like what happens with the in-laws and your parents like this is probably why we're supposed to be doctors lawyers or engineers is because <laughs> to <can> financially <laughs> afford two sets of parents um now to that i think about it two sets of parents and the two kids you were supposed to have right and the the spouse that you're supposed to find exactly at 30 years old right after you finish college <laughs> without any dating experience uh yeah yeah it's supposed to be magical no my mom's still trying to like import a spouse for me from <laughs> mainland china <laughs> which is completely illogical cuz they're from taiwan but my mom identifies as more mainland china from her ethnicity standpoint and mm. like i guess i'm I'm not sure what happened while she was growing up right but she wasn't a native i was just thinking she was thinking she has more population to work with uh, i mean <laughs> it's true too right it's so true because now i'm on dating apps and even okay if i download whatsapp which i actually have to delete it again uh if i download whatsapp all the chinese guys find me and my picture on whatsapp and just message me because they're looking for a wife i have whatsapp and i don't get that <laughs> but i also think i have a bunny as my profile picture now that you I'm might, you might. <laughs> that's why never mind there you okay so that's the secret i just need to replace my face i have with- nine chickens for you to choose from if you- <laughs> <laughs> i might have to take you up on that i i don't need all this extra random i'm looking for a wife and i can't speak english thing it's so funny because well, as you were saying that like for those that can't see us like i, I was like so offended i'm like i don't get offered anything <laughs> like what's wrong with my face and then I'm like you know but I'm married I have kids I'm cool but I was just offended for a second like hey I've been having whatsapp where's all of these like I want to know like what the dowry rate is going for for me <laughs> <laughs> the popularity contest I don't know nobody's ever every time I talk to some guy from China they're all like and I'm investing in crypto and I'm like <laughs> okay like we we can't talk anymore or like I'll tell them that I'm a money coach and they'll be like give me some advice and I'm like first of all you're not my ideal client <laughs> not at all <laughs> and second of all what kind of businesswoman would I be to give you free advice to the guy that's supposedly supposed to ask me out and buy me dinner <laughs> right 
Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, do the Asian stereotypical thing and be like, well, here's a form. You need to tell me <laughs> where you graduated from college because I need to I need to see how prestigious it is. Because if it's not Ivy League, then I'm not going to like my parents just aren't going to go for it. <laughs> That's true. I can just waive the like parent approval requirement and just be like, you got to do these things. And most of them, right, I'm finding they're, they graduate from college in China. And that's a problem for me because that implies that they haven't been in the U.S. long enough to understand me as an American. So it's back I to the mean, culture clash. Yeah. It's like too big of a gap, right? Like if they came over for college, then that's probably where we, we would be like, okay, maybe. And then ideally for me, even if they are not born in the States, right? If they came over in high school, then like they would know enough about like the media and growing up in the 90s in the US and all of those things, because mm. now my brand is about talking to other Asian Americans, not just generic all Asians that didn't grow up in America. Right. So I can't leave. Like now that this is the work that I do, I'm not moving to China. That's not happening. Well, that's okay. Cause what he needs is to bring his whole family over. So he needs yes. to know the size he needs of your a green house. Card and- <laughs> right. And then it's so funny that that is still a lot of people have this concept of like arranged marriage being like a thing of the past. And I'm like, no, in the Asian culture and like the Indian culture, it's still very, very in. It's still very acceptable, not acceptable as in like the people are like, you're taking your parents offer up. It's just acceptable to put it out there. (laughs) Yes. Right. But I do have a friend who's at the point where he's like, parents, this is your job now. Please find me a wife. Right. Like he's Indian and he's like, you know what? At this point, screw the dating apps. They're no fun. Like, please go find me a wife. I don't know. I don't care where she like lives right now. We'll figure it out. Right. Like they'll move or whatever. (laughs) That is so funny. Uh, Because I know on Netflix, a couple of years ago, and I, I I don't know like what happened to it now if it's on season two, but there was a matchmaking TV yes, I, show I think I watched it. for yes. like the Indian um it's an Indian matchmaker. So yeah, and we we watched it because we're like, oh, like I didn't know like there was an actual person who does it, and you know, because in the Asian culture for my family, it's just the aunts and uncles. You know, like, yeah. are you married yet? No, do you have a girlfriend? Because I have somebody in like Vietnam yeah. that needs to come over and blah. blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like I had a coworker once. She like asked me because I guess she made she's from mainland China, but her, she made friends with a Taiwanese family, and she knew that I was from Taiwan because we we didn't speak the same dialect. Like I would talk and things wouldn't sound the same. And I thought it was just because I was bad at Chinese at first, but apparently <laughs> it's because Taiwan Mandarin is different by just slightly. But she was like are you dating anyone? Because I know this Taiwan kid and and I was dating someone at the time, but I kind of wish that like somebody would do that now and just be like, can we, I need a solution to this. I don't want to use dating apps anymore. It drives me nuts. But wouldn't that, wouldn't that like bring you back to your first issue of like, he's in mainland China. And so you wouldn't want to talk to him anyways, because he's still over in mainland China. I, so this particular instance, I think it was just that his family was from Taiwan, but that they lived here, right? It was mm. more like we're, we're picking based off of ethnicity, who we match with who, like that definitely happened. We had a, a Chinese intern at this company too, and my coworkers would try to match me with him, even though he was younger. <laughs> it's okay. He also had like no work ethic either. So that would have been terrible. Oh, I was going to say that's very, very odd. <laughs> what I learned is actually, because it was... It was an internship that was basically grunt work. Like somebody would have to do this work if the intern didn't exist. So like if we didn't have the intern, I would have had to do it as the full-time person. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it was throwaway work, but it wasn't fun work to do. So what I learned is actually because we had two Asian males come through and they're both like their parents were funding their lifestyle at the time. Mm. Not that it was like an extravagant lifestyle, right. but they didn't need the money to be an independent person. And me and the other female intern that came through, she was white, but like we were using the job as the way to like gain our independence, to like be financially independent enough to not have to worry about whether or not we angered our parents or like right. burden them or whatever it is. In her case, I think it was more to not burden them, but like 
that was a driving force for us. So we had much higher work ethic than these guys who were like, well, I'm just going to throw this internship away and go get a more prestigious job somewhere else anyway. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I do like that aspect of the Asian culture where it's like the parents will do anything they can to give their kids, you know, their foot in the door or like mm-hmm. just giving them a head start. Yeah. Right. To set them up for success. Because that is what I'm doing with my kids. Like, so for those that don't know me, I had my first when I was 18. So I was a teen parent. And that's why I dropped out of high school and got my GED because I got pregnant my senior year and I was not sleeping well, you know, like the last trimester because I was like a whale. And so, <laughs> and so I was like, forget this waking up at 5 a.m. every single day thing um, because I wasn't bad at school. I just, like I said, I was socializing versus like, focusing on my studies, but I wasn't, it wasn't because I was dumb. Mm. Um, I just wasn't applying myself. I didn't have a reason to apply myself. And so I dropped out and then I just got my GED right away. Cause I was like, okay, I could just get my GED and I don't have to wake up for the next six months at 5am to go to school every single day while I'm pregnant. And, you know, I got my GED right away and I was like, nobody in my head, my thought process was I'm going to go to college Mm-hmm. And then once I get my degree, nobody's going to be like, oh, you dropped out of high school because you have right. your college degree. Yeah, nobody's going to check about the high school at that point. Right. It's the the college degree. So that that was what was going through my head. Um, but obviously it didn't pan out that way. But yeah, so we're kind of behind financially because we had kids as as teens. Right. You you had them early enough that you didn't get to like build up a stockpile or even the experience. Yeah. Right. So I ended up being a stay-at-home mom for a couple of years because a high school dropout with GED, like at that time in 2005, uh, most jobs were like 8 $9 an hour. Yeah. And daycare was like $300 a week. So I would have been working retail as a cashier to pay for daycare. Right. So I was like, I'll just stay home because this is all we can do. And we luckily we were able to stay home rent free because we were at my parents still. Mm. Um, But yeah, so we're behind financially. And there's still days, like I said, where I'm like, oh, I I feel shame that I didn't get to go to college because that's, you know, that's what my parents like kind of built in my head. Like you're only successful if you have a college degree. So at this time, even even if I'm bringing in good money with my business now, in my head, I'm like, I'm not successful. Because I don't have a degree, but my son is 17. So even though I want to go back and I could go back, Mm -hmm. I don't want to open up myself to more student loan debt Mm -hmm. and then take on his student loan debt as well. Because I do actually, I'm so used to it. I I told my husband, I was like, we're so used to debt. Like, why not just take on his college debt and then just give him a head start? And he agreed with me. And I know a lot of people in the financial, like who are financially savvy would be like, no, you got to work on your retirement first. Mm. And then like, you know, worry about your kids because they have their entire life to pay off their student loans. So why would you, you know, kind of put that debt on yeah. yourself? That feels like that's more like that American independence vein too, right? Right. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about it and it, you have to do what's right for your family. And if you're, you're like adding more to the debt pile. Yeah. If it's not adding a lot more mental burden to you, then yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, it is very different because you're correct in that it doesn't add any more mental burden in a sense, because if it was something for myself, like even if it was a car, that would be a mental burden. Cause I, I doubt my decision, you know, cause you're like, sitting you're there, you're like, Oh, no, $60,000 car. I could have got one for free. Like, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> Something of that nature versus like, oh, there's now I have a $60,000 student loan debt, but mm. my kid has like a bachelor's degree. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's a big head start. Yeah. It's different. That is one thing too, that when people ask me how I'm on track to retire by 40, I'm like, well, first of all, I didn't start with student loan debt, right? Like I didn't start in the negative and I'm sure that you've also been good about like you first of all removed a lot of the toxicity, right, from your household. So you're also not starting your children with negative mindset either. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's always going to be something that's blocking. It. Like everybody ends up with like limiting beliefs and there's nothing you can do about like no one can have a perfect childhood. But like it's still a lot better than what we had from a mindset perspective or what a lot of American families have from a debt perspective. So you're setting them up so that you can see them succeed. And that's like, you think of it as your legacy. Right. Um, And I feel like it's a true 
legacy because there's no caveats. There's no stipulations. It's not like I will pay for your school, but you're going to go to school to become a doctor. No, it's Mm. like I'll pay for your school so that you can just focus on school and figure out what you really want to do. Because I'm very real with them. I'm like, you know, it's 40 hours a week. What are you going to spend your life doing where every Sunday night you're okay with it being Monday next day? I don't want you at home Sunday nights being like, ah, shit. That's a heavy conversation. (laughs) Right. But my kids are, my kids are fantastic. I don't even know what I did in my previous life to have really good (laughs) kids. They're fantastic about it. And I think that is the reason why I'm willing to pay for their college, you know, experience and education is because I don't believe that they're going to take it and be like that generic kid where it's like, oh, if you give them stuff, then they get spoiled and they don't really learn to appreciate it. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's the case with my kids. I feel like he will appreciate it, but it'll also relieve stress in a way where he's like, he can actually figure out what he wants to do and like take classes and be like, you know what? I thought I would like this, but now that I'm in this class learning this thing, like I don't really enjoy this career after all, or this field mm-hmm. after all. So let me just kind of pivot over here. Like I want him to have that experience. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. like, and it's not just Asians. We live with that limitation of like, you can only do these things because it brings in a, a lot of money. But I know a lot of Americans in general just don't have that freedom because of financial issues. Right. They're either, they're working through college to pay for it. And so that also limits like how much they can be paying attention or how many classes they can take at a time, or they know that they're going to have to pay off this debt. So they're going for the things that they know has like a solid return on investment. And they don't even get the the room to pause and ask themselves if that's what they want. There are opportunities that I would say I had a chance to take from a volunteer perspective, right? That I got to choose trade off of time of like, well, this doesn't pay that well, but I also don't have to use this money to support myself. So it's not a big deal. Or if it was like a free opportunity where like I was just like the manual labor, but I got to attend an event or network with people. I got those options that most people, if they have to work their way through college, would have to turn down because there's like a different set of priorities. Right. And just financial priorities. Like it's so expensive that people, even if they pause and they go, you know what? I really don't want to do this anymore. If they're like two years in, that's two years wasted of tuition that they have to start over. And the idea of that is too much for everybody Mm because two years is tens of thousands. Well, and and not just that, at that age, two years is a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Like now in my thirties, I'm like, okay, two years isn't that bad in terms of time commitment. But when you're that young and it's like a 10th of your life, you're like, oh, (laughs) hell no. Right. (laughs) Yeah. No. And that's so funny that you said that because I, I, that's what I think. I'm like, oh, I can go and I can get like a vet tech degree in two years. But for me, it's still the financial aspect of like, I could, but then in a year, my oldest is going to go to college. Mm-hmm. Do I really want to pay two tuitions? No. Like, I'm too, <laughs> the Asian comes out of me. I'm too frugal for that. I'm like, no, one of us has got to go get a scholarship. And then I'm going to look at my son. <laughs> yeah, he probably has more scholarships open to him than you do. That's, but they do have like non-traditional student or returning student scholarships. So there are those. I have a business to run. Like he's got it. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll be like, your homework is to find yourself scholarships and then your mother's some scholarships too for having you. Yes. Do both of them. At least have him source them and then you can write the one essay. In most scholarships, you really only need one and you can like tweak it a little bit and copy and paste. (laughs) Just be like, hey, we're going to help pay for college, but you have to like find me at least 10 of these scholarships I can apply to. (laughs) I'm going to write this down. <laughs> it's a fantastic Uh-oh. idea. We've, we've given, him, given him homework. <laughs> uh, well, this yeah. has been so fun. Um, I feel like we, we wanted to talk a little bit more about your, your pets and your farm, but we didn't get there, but that's okay. I know. We jumped all over the place. There's just so many things that happens in my life that show like culture clash, like with me liking farm animals or like wanting a farm, which my family definitely don't understand because they left they left like the east to come yes. to the west and they left back their farms because uh, right. they were like country people so all asians prioritize like i'll walk walk into a korean restaurant right and i'll sit down and the korean like 
immigrant guy would be like, are you a knowledge worker? Cause they want, like, that's the American dream for them is to not be doing any kind of manual labor to have mm-hmm. their kids be like an office worker in like a stable job that's clean. And then like make good money. Yeah. The concept that you don't have to be out in the sun getting tanned and all of this stuff. Like that's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's that there's like me being a teen mom, that's so not an Asian thing to do. Dropping mm. out of school, not having a college degree. Yeah. And then cutting off family members like, there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Just like, yeah, I don't need you. I don't need you either. Oh, like, it'll be fine. I'll replace like, you with a cat. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, there's a lot of cats. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so I actually first wanted to ask um, where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more about you or hire you for your director of operations work? Yeah, so you can find me. My website is www.alisak.co, and that's A-L-I-S-A-K-A-Y.co. Yes, and that will be in the show notes as well. Any other parting thoughts? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. I can't wait to see all of the other podcast episodes come out so that I can listen to it, and then we can all maybe converge one day and drink lots of liquor this week. <laughs> we talk about have, all the trauma we've been through. Yes. We, we can have a podcast meetup and after having, we'll have already heard everybody's stories, right? So then we just go up to each other and be like, oh, this one part, really, I related with that when, and bond over it. Yep. And then I spent the weekend getting drunk because it was so traumatizing. To <laughs> Which, yeah, anybody listening, that's what Asian people do. Like we, we talk about trauma stuff and then we laugh about it because we're like, like, yeah, no, yeah there, there's it's like too much to fix so you gotta laugh at it yeah right well it's been fun thank you so much for having me um yeah, and i hope our listeners are getting a lot out of it and and seeing the behind the scenes of what it is what it's like to be a first generation asian american yeah a, a real person and not the stereotype yeah telling you all the nitty-gritty stuff of the things that you're not supposed to do as an Asian woman. (laughs) And yet you're still a successful business owner. Yeah. Surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Am I successful without a college degree though? (laughs) Yeah. I I saw that sarcastic voice in your head when you paused. Like, yeah, successful. Yep. We we have to affirm (laughs) that you are successful and uh, this has been great. So thank you so much for coming on. We'll chat soon. Yeah. Talk to you later. I know that something in this episode left you feeling, oh my God, that's so me. And I want to hear about it. Leave a review on iTunes or tag me on social media and share your relatable story with us so that we can normalize our experiences as Asian Americans and help more people feel safe to step outside of the box. I can't wait to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram at tj.wey and don't forget to design your abundant life.